all that jazz and the cost is only $10. And so, fellas, we want you to be a part of that. At this time, Pastor Kevin's going to come up and bring the word. Amen. Good morning, Lake Church. Hallelujah. I just want to make, remind you of one thing also. We didn't get on the announcements. Is tonight is disclosure at the uh, Student Ministries building at 6 o'clock, I believe. So I want to invite you guys to come to that, if you would. And uh, turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 11. I'm going to be starting a series on uh, prayer. And I kind of expected that kind of a response. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, <clears throat> whenever I titled this message, On Earth is in Heaven, and uh, had the graphic made, I did it in a way that it would obscure what this message was about, because most people don't get excited about prayer. But we should get excited about prayer if we understood what it truly is, because prayer is the means by which God and man partner in impacting earth with heaven. I'm going to say that again. Most people don't understand that, but prayer is the means by which God and man partner in bringing things on earth as it is in heaven. That should be truly exciting. That comes from the what's called the Lord's Prayer, where he says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, you know, that should make you very excited because, you know, when you think about how it is in heaven, is there any sickness in heaven? <laughs> is there any depression in heaven? Any lack in heaven? Well, I tell you what, Jesus died so that we could be free from those things, not when we go to heaven, but here on earth right now but prayer is the means by which we bring spiritual things into manifestation in this physical world and uh, we need to understand how to properly pray so we can pray effectively how many of you know you can pray and not pray effectively anybody ever prayed and uh, not really saw great results yeah 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 so it's possible to pray and not pray effectively. I want to pray. If I'm going to pray, I want to pray for results. I want to see results when I pray. Um, and uh, let me read you this quote from uh, Brother Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen. He said, A believer cannot be a success in fulfilling God's purpose in his life if he does not know how to pray according to biblical principles. You know, Powerful people are prayerful people. Not necessarily the other way around. You could say prayerful people are powerful people, and that might not be true. Because you think about all the religions of the world, they have some form of prayer. It doesn't mean that they're powerful people. But powerful people are prayerful people. If you look back at a lot of the uh, great revivalists, you know, Smith Wigglesworth, E.W. Kenyon, Brother Hagin, these people... One thing that they had in common is they were people of prayer. And uh, they had learned biblically how to pray effectively. You know, um, <clears throat> one of the reasons people don't get excited about prayer is because religion has presented prayer as something it's not. And it has limited prayer to something uh, that isn't practical in people's lives. And uh, so it's caused prayer to be uh, become a work.
of people. And uh, God never intended for prayer to be work. Let me say this. I don't think I said this in the first service. But in the tabernacle of Moses, which was a shadow of the good things to come, which we have the substance of in Christ. Did you know that the, um, that the priests couldn't wear, uh, they had to wear a certain kind of clothing. They couldn't wear uh, clothing made of wool. They could only wear linen. And it wasn't a style choice. <laughs> it was because wool caused them to sweat. And sweat represents work. And there is no work that man can do to enter into the presence of the Lord. There is no sweat, no work allowed in the process of entering into the presence of God. But how many people have made prayer work? They've made it an obligation to where they feel like if they don't pray, God's not going to be happy with them or something like that. Actually, we've been invited into the greatest opportunity that you could possibly imagine in prayer. Think about this. God has given you the ability to perpetually uh, and eternally have a conversation with, the God of, with God Almighty. I mean, that's pretty awesome when you think about it, is that he is, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, uh, the veil in the temple, which represented the fact that man was separated from fellowship with God, was torn from the top to the bottom, representing that God had opened the way for man to freely come and enter into the presence of the Lord. Amen? But, but religion has made prayer something that it isn't. And it's caused people to make prayer into a work, and it's become a burden rather than a blessing. Amen? So we're going to look at prayer in this series. And, uh, you know, there's much tradition surrounding prayer. Most people know what they know about prayer, not necessarily from the Bible, but from what they've heard from other people, uh, what we've borrowed from pagans. And uh, the religious traditions that have been uh, promoted in regard to prayer. But we need to learn biblically what prayer truly is so that we can enter into the blessing of being able to be God's connection from heaven to earth. Amen? So in Luke chapter 11, let me flip over there real quick and let's read this verse. I'm getting started. <clears throat> It says, now it came to pass, as he was praying, talking about Jesus in a certain place, when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. You know, that should be our heart as well. Lord, teach us to pray. So many times, I think our religious pride, we just assume we know everything. <laughs> How many of you know the Bible says that uh, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble? We should always come to the Lord with an open heart and an open mind saying, teach us, Lord. And in this area of prayer, we need to say, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. We need to come open, uh, ready to learn, and lay aside all our preconceived ideas. <laughs> lay them aside and let the word bring us to truth so that we can experience the blessing of what God intended for prayer to be. Now, turn over to Matthew chapter 6. I'm just going to take my time here. just going to lay a foundation for this. 
In Matthew chapter 6, this is the same instance, but we get a little more information in Matthew. What I find interesting in Matthew is that uh, Jesus first, before he teaches them anything about how to pray, he teaches them how not to pray. <laughs> you know, the problem is, is that most of us, I would say especially here in the Bible Belt, uh, that we have a lot more things to unlearn. We have a lot of things to unlearn before we're ready to truly learn uh, God's, God's intent and the ways of God. We got a lot of stuff to undo. You know, we've heard a lot of religious things and we've assumed a lot of things and we need to, uh, we need to look, we need to get biblical. How about that? Let's get biblical and find out what God has to say. In uh, verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have your, their reward. You know what's crazy? Jesus says here, hypocrites love to pray. <laughs> you know what I find about, I think about this is that Jesus is dealing, first of all, with our motives. You know, the religious system of his day had become so corrupt uh, that they would actually blow trumpets before they would pray so everybody would see what they were doing. And, you know, I would say that in the modern church, we're not too far away from that. You know, the modern church has really perpetuated a celebrity minister mentality to where, honestly, there's a lot of people who want to be in five-fold ministry just because uh, they desire the uh, audience with men. And in, before you, if your motive is to have an audi audience with men, you're not going to really have an audience with God. In fact, an audience of men means nothing if you don't have an audience with God. You know, I was saying earlier that uh, if we were living in the days where uh, ministers were being stoned and crucified upside down, there would be a lot, a lot, of people, lot less people who feel called to the five-fold ministry. <laughs> uh, but anyway, what I wanted to make the point of is that God doesn't consider, only consider our words. He considers our motives. And we got to have our heart right if we're going to rightly interact with God. Because God doesn't see it. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. You know, you can have someone who doesn't necessarily know all of the details. But boy, they have a heart for God. You know, they can really contact the Father. You know, that's really what it's about, is having the right heart. So Jesus is dealing, first of all, with the fact that God doesn't consider only our words. He does consider our words. And something we're going to look at later in this series is the fact that there are principles that govern all the different kinds of prayer. You know, in Ephesians 6, it says to pray at all times with all kinds of prayer. That means there's all types, different types of prayer. There's the prayer of agreement, the prayer of faith, prayer of dedication, prayer in tongues. There's all kinds of ways that we can interact with the Lord. And, you know, really, I would say that they, we make those the primary focus in our prayer life. You know, most people, 
Their prayer life consists of asking God to meet their needs. Oh, man. And really, that should be a minute part of prayer. You know, what I want to focus on today, it's so simple that if you don't pay attention, you might actually miss it. But I believe that what I want to share with you today is the primary purpose for prayer. And I'll just go ahead and say the primary purpose for prayer is communion with the Lord. Simply to have fellowship and communion with the Lord. And in fact, I would say the reason the other kinds of prayer don't work as effectively as they should is because we've neglected the primary purpose of prayer. And we're seeking after the hand of God and we're missing his heart. If we would seek the heart of God, we would have his hand. <laughs> you know, that's the thing is that we, we're trying to get things from God and we don't truly know. We're trying to get things from the, nor, the Lord and we don't truly know him. And so we don't know his heart. We don't know his ways. We're familiar with his acts. You know, I remember, uh, I think it's in uh, Psalm 78. The Bible says, God made his acts known to the children of Israel, but he made his ways known to Moses. Who wants to know the ways of God? <laughs> if you know the ways of God, you're going to see the acts of God. Amen? So he says uh, in verse 7, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. You know, another thing that we have to understand is the purpose of prayer is not to try and motivate God or to persuade God as if he's holding back answers to prayer until we have prayed long and hard enough, you know. We try to use prayer as a way to talk God into things that, you know, he may not be saying yes to, but we think if we pray hard enough or get other people to join us, that we might be able to talk him into something. Listen, the will of God is set. In fact, faith can't produce anything God hasn't already provided by grace. Jesus is the yes to every promise of God. And we simply say amen. You know, we're not going to... It's crazy because, you know, we think, well, if we can't get God to do it, maybe if we get 100 people to join us in agreement in prayer, then maybe we can talk God into it. <laughs> It's crazy, but that's what he's saying, that you're not going to be heard for your much speaking. You know, you're not going to try, you're not going to talk God into something he's saying no to, okay? Another thing that he's saying here is the purpose of prayer isn't to inform the Lord of our lists of needs. You know, I think I, I've been there before, how about you, where the bulk of your prayer is telling God everything that's going on in your life, you know? As if he doesn't know. <laughs> God, it's really, there's a lot going on down here, and I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but we got problems. <laughs> I'm telling you, from his place, he, he doesn't have the same perspective that we have. In fact, prayer gives us God's perspective. If you know, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. You know, when you get to a, an ascended position and you look down on problems, they don't look near as big problem is that we don't have the perspective of God in regard to the things that are going on in life. But God knows all about it. In fact, he goes on to say right here 
Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you even ask him. (laughs) I mean, God is not unaware. He already knows everything that you have need of before you ask him. And as I said earlier, prayer is the way that God and man work together in bringing his will on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer is needed to bring the will of God into our situation. But prayer isn't a way of telling God what's going on or persuading God or trying to motivate God to move as if he's not really interested. You know, sometimes people approach prayer that way. We need to understand that none of those things are the way that we should approach prayer. In fact, that is approaching God in unbelief. And listen, the main law that governs prayer is faith. And prayer doesn't make your faith work. Faith makes your prayers work. Okay? So we have to have relationship with God, communion and fellowship with God in order for our prayers to be effective. Okay? And we know that the Bible says that faith comes by hearing And hearing by the word of God. But did you know that in the Greek it says by the rhema of Christ. That means it's a revealed word. It's not just the written word where faith comes from. But when you take the written word and you are in relationship with God, he makes it a revealed word to you. And that's where faith comes from. And that's why people sometimes don't see the results they want to see is because they have a written word, but they haven't spent any time with the Lord to get a revealed word from God. We're trying to bypass relationship, and we want the, the, we want the blessings of God without the God of the blessing. Amen? Okay, so... Let's, uh, let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 3. So I want to go back and look at God's original intent and see uh, what God's purpose was originally with man. I think it's, you know, um, there's a principle we use in Bible interpretation called first mention. If you want to know uh, what God's intent is on any subject, go back to the beginning And find his original intent. And you're going to find revelation about what God originally wanted. And let me tell you something. Even though there's been a fall, God hasn't changed his desire and his will in his relationship with man. So in in, uh, Genesis chapter 3, this is after Adam and Eve had fallen and had uh, partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in uh, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So listen, in the, in the beginning, if you, if you study that out, the Lord God came walking in the cool of the day. Uh, what you find is that was... That was a daily thing that happened is that God came, the Lord God walked in the garden and he had fellowship and communion with Adam and Eve. Let me ask you this. What do you think their conversations were like? What do you think that uh, their relationship with the Lord was 
was like in that. Because think about this. They had no lack. They had no sickness and disease. They had no depression, no anxiety. They didn't have any food to believe for. They didn't have a house to believe for. They didn't even have clothes to believe for. <laughs> they, they didn't have any problems or any issues. They didn't have need for the prayer of faith. They didn't have need for the prayer of agreement. They weren't binding and loosing. They weren't using authority over the devil. So what do you think they did? They just had fellowship and communion with the Lord. They had the ability to just have fellowship with God and know him. And that's truly the primary purpose of prayer, which I think we've missed I think the reason we're not seeing the other forms of prayer operate effectively the way that they should is because we haven't made the main thing the main thing. And God's desire is just to have fellowship and communion with you. The whole purpose of redemption was to get us back to the place to where we could have fellowship and communion with the Lord. Oh, my goodness. So Listen, it's so simple. I, it'll go over your head if you don't listen and think about what I'm saying to you. And I've been, you know, as the Lord's been speaking to me about this, I've been applying this in my life. And I'm telling you, my enjoyment of prayer has gone up tenfold. Just not approaching it as I'm trying to get God to do something, or I'm trying to let him know about all my problems. You know, Charles Capps, I heard him talking about prayer one time, said he was, he was down praying and he had a lot of, he was a farmer in Arkansas and he was having a lot of issues and he was talking to God and God said, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm praying. And he said, no, you're not, you're complaining. <laughs> he said, no, you're not, you're complaining. Listen, I think that uh, we can make an adjustment in this area of prayer and realize that if we would approach it properly, we would see a lot of the issues in our life be taken care of supernaturally. You know, in Matthew 6 and 33, it says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Added to you. That means you don't, you're not going to have to have scriptures and I'm believing for a house and I'm believing, come on now, I'm believing for this and I'm believing for that. Why? Your father already knows you have need of them before you even ask. <laughs> but we're seeking the hand of God rather than seeking the heart of God and we're out of alignment with the Lord. You know, just simply uh, having communion and fellowship with God was what he always desired. Living in and living from the presence of the Lord rather than living for the presence of the Lord. I don't know if you caught that or not, but we were supposed to live from the presence of the Lord. That was what God always intended was that we live from it. You know, when God creates anything, he first creates the environment that it functions in. Uh, the way that it's supposed to function. In fact, you know, if you read the creation account, God created the, the firmament of the sky, then he created the sun and the moon and the stars. He created the ocean, and then he brought forth all the sea creatures. 
He created the land, and then he brought forth all the animals. Well, do you know that God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and then he put man in the garden? That word Eden is the word presence. Your intended environment that you were intended to live in and that you function in the way that you're supposed to is the presence of the Lord God. Man, we were made for his presence. We were created for his presence. And the reason that we're malfunctioning and we're not experiencing life the way that we were supposed to experience it, the way that God desires that we experience it, is because we're not living in and from the presence of the Lord. (laughs) And Jesus died so that we could have access back to living perpetually in and from the presence of the Lord. Man, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The Lord's presence was the intended environment that we would live in and live from. But we go through life and we allow all the distractions of life to keep us from living in and from the presence of the Lord. And do you know that... um, So many people are chasing after, let me say it like this. They're going through religious calisthenics, trying to chase after God, pursuing after God. And listen, I understand those words. There is is a truth to those. But do you realize that you were created with the ability to create an environment that brings God on the scene? Oh, man. There is an environment that you can create that causes God's presence to be manifested. Oh, man. That's why we do praise and worship. It's not to entertain you. (laughs) Praise and worship isn't to bless you. It's to bless him. Oh, and when we bless him and we create the environment, he shows up. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Fun, fun. So restoring us to communion with God was the purpose of redemption. Look at John chapter 17. You know that the whole story of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is God's pursuit of man? Did you know that uh, every religion in the world is man's pursuit of God? But the story of the Bible is God's pursuit of man. Oh, when, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden and they were expelled from the garden so they didn't partake of the tree of life and live forever in a fallen condition, ever since that point, God has been progressively unveiling and unfolding his plan to bring man back to the ability to live and dwell in the presence of God. Amen. That is... That is awesome. First was the tabernacle of Moses. God was present with his people in the tabernacle. Second was Jesus. Jesus was the dwelling place of God on earth. Next is you as an individual. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? And then we corporately are also a dwelling place for God. But in Revelation 21, he says, Behold, I see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and God will dwell with man. That's what it's always been about. 
Somehow we lose sight of simply having fellowship and communion with God. So in John 17, verse 3, he says this, he says, this is Jesus talking. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know, a lot of people's perception of eternal life is that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That is absolutely not what the Bible teaches. Now, going to heaven came because of the fall of man. And people die physically. And so those who die in Christ, they do go to heaven. But listen, when Christ returns at his second coming, all those who have gone on to heaven are coming back to earth with Jesus to rule and reign for a thousand years. The gospel is not about taking us to heaven. It's about getting heaven in us so that we can create a dwelling place for God here on earth and it can be on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> well, we've taken our theology from hymn books rather than from the Bible. We've sang about I'll fly away. And we thought that that was the purpose, and it's not the purpose. Thank God for him. Thank God that because of Jesus that when we die, we go to heaven. But that was not the purpose and the intent of redemption. If you think it is, then once you get saved and you have your ticket to heaven, you, can just, sit, you just sit passively by waiting until Jesus returns or you die. No, the purpose of redemption was to bring you to a place where you could have fellowship and communion with God and you could become a dwelling place for God and that you could be a place where God could bring it on earth as it is in heaven. Oh man, you know, redemption, us preaching redemption to other people is not about us debating people on doctrine. It's about us de delivering and demonstrating the reality of the availability of another kingdom, even right now here on earth in the age that we live. Jesus said this, if I cast devils out, I do, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Mm. You know, but we're trying to do the works of Jesus without a relationship. Man. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Jesus' death, the shedding of his blood, was to pay the price, the debt of sin, so that we could be justified in the sight of God. And that we could be made righteous so that we could stand in the presence of God with no sense of guilt or inferiority, so that we could have fellowship and communion with God and that we could know him. Yeah. I would say the majority of believers, I'm not talking about in this church, but I'm saying the church uh, in America primarily do not have the goal of knowing God personally as the highest priority of their life. Mm. You know, we're so distracted by other things and, uh, and we're so focused on just getting our needs met that we, that we miss the greater purpose. Let's look at Paul's life in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Philippians 3 and 10, let's see the heart of the Apostle Paul. 
He says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. You know, when he's talking about laying hold, attaining to the resurrection, he's not talking about the physical resurrection. He's talking about our spiritual resurrection, whereby we now have been reconciled to the Father. He's talking about walking in the fullness of what Christ supplied for us through his death, burial, and our resurrection with him. That now we have fellowship with God. Now we have communion with God. Now we have the ability to know God personally. This is eternal life that I may know him. The Apostle Paul had that as the highest priority of his life, that he would know the Lord. You know, in communion, the blessing of that is that it cannot be taken away from you. You know, in the, in the environment, uh, political vi- environment and things these days, you know, they're labeling conservatives uh, as radicals and, and all of these types of things. And conservatism isn't the, isn't the aim. It's Christianity. I'm going to say that again. It's not your conservatism. It's your Christianity that they're after. Conservatism is the label that they hide behind to be able to target Christians. And I'm telling you that we don't know uh, what's coming in the days to come, but we, we better be prepared for whatever comes. And I'm telling you, if you're going to be a powerful person, you're going to have to be a prayerful person. You're going to have to understand prayer. Who knows if there'll be a lion's den? Who knows if there'll be a fiery furnace? But I'm telling you, David was, uh, Daniel was able to endure the lion's den because he was a man who knew the Lord. The Hebrew children were able to come out of the fiery furnace without even the smell of smoke on them because they knew the Lord. Amen. See, communion can't be taken away from you no matter what situation you're put in. Paul here in Philippians was in prison. They can't put you in a prison that'll separate you from communion. Oh, come on now. They can't put you in a prison. They can't put you in a dungeon deep enough that God's fellowship and communion and intimacy cannot be there. Come on now. Hallelujah. And that's what causes you to overcome. See, we want to be isolated from problems. But what the presence of the Lord does is it insulates you from the problems. Oh, man. We don't want to go through anything. But I'm telling you, there's nothing you could go through that, will, that you can't overcome if you're insulated with the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, that's how in the book of Philippians, Paul's theme was really rejoice. It was joy from the prison. Why? Because in the prison, he was still dwelling in the presence of the Lord. His communion and fellowship were unbroken. I remember when I got saved, I was in jail, you know, and I was in prison physically, but I was free spiritually. I'm telling you, when I first started experiencing that communion with the Lord, it changes things. 
You know, I'm reminded of Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas were arrested and, and the Bible says their backs were flayed open and bleeding and they were put in the depth of the prison and their feet and their hands were fastened in stocks and the Bible says at midnight they began to pray and they began to sing praises unto God and God got to tap in his foot and an earthquake happened and all of their bonds were broken. I'm telling you, and the presence of God was so strong in that place that the prisoners didn't even leave. They all stayed right there in the prison. You know, the jailer was about to kill himself because he thought they probably all escaped. Paul said, don't do anything to yourself. We're all still here. Oh, man, was when you're in the presence of the Lord, you don't want to leave. You ever been in a meeting to where the presence of the God was so thick that nobody wanted to leave? Everybody's standing around, talking afterward, rejoicing. Why? Because the presence of God was what we were created for. Oh, man, and in his presence is fullness of joy. I'm convinced that depression and anxiety and all the things that people struggle with in this day and age that we live in is amazing. Young people who don't even, you know, who aren't even responsible for their own life right now are struggling under this depression and anxiety and tiredness and weariness. I'm convinced that the presence of the Lord would heal that. Why? In his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Oh, it's in his presence. I believe that if we would learn to live in fellowship and communion and intimacy with God, a lot of our problems would just supernaturally be dealt with. <laughs> oh, because the presence of the Lord. Because of the presence of the Lord. But listen, we have to cultivate God's presence in our life. You know, I think about the Sabbath, you know, their observance of the Sabbath. That was about cultivating the presence of God. That's really what it was about. We don't observe that uh, religiously or legalistically. But you know what? This is something the Lord has been really dealing with me and showing me is that your home, if you would create the right environment, if you would set aside time simply for the purpose of fellowship and communion with God your home would become the dwelling place of God. Oh, man. A lot of problems would be solved just because you cultivate the presence of the Lord. So how do we cultivate the presence of the Lord? Look at Acts chapter 13. It's so simple. But we've made it so complicated. Acts 13 Verse 1 says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I had called them. You know, they were all assembled together, and they were ministering to the Lord. Think about this. What does it mean to minister to the Lord? You know, when we, when we talk about who's going to be up here on a Sunday or Wednesday, we say so-and-so is going to minister. You know, when you think about that, that means they're going to teach or preach or whatever, pray for people. I mean, how do you minister to the Lord? Do you preach to him? <laughs> 
Do you pray for him as if he needs anything? Do you tell him to repent? <laughs> no. To minister to the Lord means that we bless him. We give him praise. We worship him. And they regularly just came together to minister to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit manifested and said, oh, come on now. We can create the environment that either causes God's presence not to manifest or we can create the environment that causes God to show up on the scene. You know, there's plenty of things. I'll say this. In our country right now and in the world at large, there are plenty of things that we could talk about, that we could complain about, uh, that we could be worried about. But let me ask you, will any of that change anything? <laughs> uh, will that change anything that's going on? No, but we can create an environment that brings God Almighty on the scene in the midst of our problems and solves what's going on in our lives. So they were ministering to the Lord. What does that mean? It means they were praising God. They were blessing him. You know, Psalm 103 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. You know that the majority of our prayer should be thanksgiving and praise. Oh, my. It's so simple. See, I see everybody looking at me like, give me something. You know, <laughs> if I can say, I got five steps that if you do these five things, every problem in your life would be solved. Man, people would buy that series. But when you say it's about intimacy with God, and relation, well, you mean I'm going to have to turn off the TV? Uh, you mean I'm going to have to uh, stop, you know, make room for God in my life? That's exactly what I'm saying. Um, you have the ability to create the culture of your environment, of your life. And it will either bring God into manifestation or it will cause him to not be in. Now, he's within you all the time. But I'm talking about the manifestation of his presence in our life. Praise and thanksgiving. I'm saying that the other kinds of prayers should be a minute part of our prayer life. We shouldn't have long laundry lists of needs and that be the totality of our prayer life. And I know we have prayer in tongues, but I'm just talking about thanksgiving and praise. Let me share a few verses with you. Psalm 100 verses 4 and 5 say, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Amen. Let me turn to that and just read it real quick. This is the pathway to his presence, actually. Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. And bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Hallelujah. Psalm 34, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. 
His praise shall be continually upon my lips. You know, it actually says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray without ceasing. How do you do that? (laughs) Does that mean I sit and tell him everything that's going on in my life and everything that I have need of continually? Man, the only way to pray continuously is either to pray in other tongues where you don't know what you're saying. Because listen, you could pray for the whole world in 30 minutes and run out of things to say. (laughs) But you... You can bless the Lord at all times. His praise can continually be upon your lips. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What does this do? It creates an atmosphere that's irresistible to the Lord. You know, Psalm 22 says this. He inhabits the praises of his people. He doesn't inhabit the complaining of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. Amen? You know, what this does is that when you begin to magnify the Lord, which is one of the things that the psalmist talked about, you know what the word magnify means? To make bigger. You know, you can't make God bigger with your praise, but you can make him bigger to you. That's the problem is we've got this, our our experience, our life, we, we see things as huge And then we got this little time with God. But when you begin to magnify the Lord, oh, he begins to get so big. When you begin to praise him, you just begin to see him as so big. And then when you finally get around to making your petition to God, it seems so small. That's, That's, how do you do that? Lord, thank you. Come on, just right there where you're at. Just lift your hands right now and let's just begin to, to, do, to do this. Lord, we just thank you. You're a good God. Oh, you are so worthy of all praise. You're a faithful Father. You're a loving Lord. I am so thankful, Father God, to have your presence in my life. I'm so thankful to be able to enter in and to live in and to live from your presence. Father God, I thank you that I have no need that you don't already know about and that you have not already met through your son, Jesus. I thank you, Father, for the blood of Christ that redeemed me from sin. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who empowers me to live in everything that Jesus has provided for me. I thank you, Father, that you delivered me from the authority of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of the Son of your love. I thank you, Father, that you've given me health. I thank you that you've supplied me fully, that you've commanded a blessing upon my life. I thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. Oh, I tell you, when you just begin to do that, the Lord just begins to be manifested to you, and he begins to get so big that when you finally get along down there to mention uh, what was going on in your life, you almost hate to say anything about it. <laughs> well, you know, Lord, this doesn't really seem like a big deal right now, but, you know, if you'd just go ahead and take care of this. <laughs> you know, I, we just don't have the right perspective. We haven't cultivated the right environment. And it's caused us to see problems big and God small. Amen. Hallelujah. We got to begin to take responsibility and cultivate an awareness of God's presence. And there's nothing that will come that can shake us. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we just give you praise. 
We thank you, Father God. Thank you so much that you've reconciled us to yourself so that we could have a relationship, communion with you, fellowship with you. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father God. Oh, I thank you, Father. It's your desire, not only for us to know you, but for you to know us. Man, what an awesome, what an awesome thing. What a privilege it is to be able to call you Father. What an honor it is to be able to know that we are sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. I thank you, Father God. We just praise you, Lord. Oh, that we can come boldly into the holiest place, the place of your presence. Thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. God wants to know you. Hallelujah. God wants to know you intimately. Did you know that you have something that you can give God that nobody else does? You have something that God can't get from anybody else but you. Your personal thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And he wants it. Stephen, he wants it, brother. He, want, he desires it. He created you for his pleasure. He created you for his, for his joy and his benefit. Hallelujah. Listen, as we close, I just want to say that if there's anybody here this morning that you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, he shed his blood, he laid down his life, so that you could simply by believing and confessing him as Lord, that you could be transferred into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And he did that so he could cleanse you of sin and he could fill you with his Holy Spirit, that you could live in and from his presence all the days of your life, that you could live in the fullness of his joy and pleasures that are forevermore. So I just want to encourage you that there are going to be ministers up here uh, wanting to, to meet with you if you have something you want. If you haven't even thought about this before, or maybe you haven't been living this way and you want to pray with somebody about it, you want to say, hey, today I'm going to enter into this new lifestyle of thanksgiving and praise. I want to cultivate the presence of God in my life. I want to encourage you to come up and let somebody minister to you and pray with you this morning. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're needing healing, you're suffering with depression or anything like that, we want you to come up and receive in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to dismiss you, but I want you to know they're going to be here to pray with you. Don't leave without getting what you came here needing. Amen. God bless you.